Good evening. Um, it's, a, it's a little wet outside. I don't know if anybody noticed, uh, but just, just a little wet. Uh, this evening is our last uh, summer series. It's our last lesson, and uh, as was just pointed out, Bill is going to give a lesson about himself, the greatest risk taker of them all. Um, so super excited to hear uh, Bill's memoir of, of the evening. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be our last lesson for the summer series, and then we'll start up this uh, next week, we'll start up the new quarters classes. So next Wednesday, you'll be back in your normal Wednesday evening classes. Um, want to announce uh, Blair Soup, the daughter of Jim and Lisa Soup, was in a fairly serious accident earlier this week um, on Monday, a car accident. Um, she has uh, some broken ribs, broken collarbone, um, but she's doing quite a bit better, it sounds like. She was moved out of ICU today, which is wonderful news, um, but still can only imagine the pain that she's in, and uh, there's going to be quite a, quite a long road of recovery for that, so we want to remember her in our prayers. Um, I believe that's all I have, so if you would join me uh, let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we do thank you for all the rain that we've gotten. Lord, we've uh, prayed for it for so long, and you have provided over the last couple of weeks. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the rain. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll be with us this evening. Be with Bill as he presents his lesson um, about Jesus. And Lord, uh, it's one of those things that you can hear the story of Jesus so often that you can become over-familiarized. And so uh, we're always excited to hear uh, a lesson on Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see it, uh, see it anew, see it as though we're seeing or hearing the story of Jesus for the first time. Father, we want to lift up uh, Blair Soup, who was in a car accident earlier this week. Lord, we're thankful uh, that she is okay. We're, we're thankful for the news of her being moved out of ICU, but Lord, we do know that the uh, road of recovery is going to be a, a little bit of a long one, and so we pray that you would be with her physically, be with her uh, mentally, that she would stay positive, but Lord, we, we pray that uh, just spiritually she would feel encouraged and uplifted uh, by the support that she has all around her. Father, we love you so much, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
I think I'm going to have to sit by Jude every time because he always wishes me well before I get up to preach, and that's a great thing. That really makes my night. Uh, greatest risk taker of all. Okay, so I didn't think through the title very well, seeing my name right there uh, with it. Uh, but, you know, it may, be, uh, it may be that I'm not the greatest risk taker of all. That may be one Logan Stone tonight because he was leading singing without the monitor being on. So, you know, well done. Well done, brother. You did good. You did, you did really good. Um, this is the end of our series, Risk Takers, Putting Your Faith on the Line. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, summer series. I hope you've been challenged by it because uh, certainly uh, it's been an encouraging one for me and a challenging one. The messages have been right on point. Uh, it's always a roll of the dice when you um, ask speakers to come and you give them a topic because uh, you know that whatever you, the topic is, whatever the title that you assign to them is, they're likely going to preach what's on their heart, <laughs> the message that they want to preach, which is one of the reasons why you invite them. And uh, we've had speakers to, uh, this summer that have been excellent in carrying out not only our series theme, but also uh, the messages that God has placed on their hearts. And they've been They've been wonderful. We had a great, great theme. Davy Carter is the one that thought up the theme as we were brainstorming about it. And Risk Takers Putting Your Faith on the Line was an excellent one. So um, that's, a, that's been a, a really good summer series. And tonight we're going to finish it out with uh, the greatest risk taker of them all. One thing each of these risk takers had in common is they all gave up something. They all gave up something. Yes, they took a risk, and they risked different things, certainly so. But they also all gave up something. And you think about just a few of the ones that you might remember and ask yourself, what did they give up? Um, what did they risk? What was it that, that was uh, said about them, or what is it that you might think? For example, Daniel, one of the first ones, Daniel was one who, who gave up a lot and risked a lot. And he was willing to give up his freedom. Remember, Daniel was one of the exiles, and he had gone into Babylon and Babylonian captivity. And uh, while he was there, God blessed him and his three friends so that when he refused the king's diet, God blessed him, and they actually looked better than the ones who had been on the diet. And so right away, Daniel was able to uh, have a place of position. And even though he was an exile in a foreign country, he actually had quite a bit of, of uh, power and position. But he was willing to throw all of that away, to risk it all, to give it up, if it meant um, being disobedient to God. And we see that a few different times throughout the book of Daniel. And then we think of Ruth, that great story of Ruth, one of my favorite stories. It's such a powerful, powerful story. And, and she was willing to give up her homeland. She was willing to leave her homeland so that she could go with her mother-in-law uh, who had, they had both lost their husbands. Naomi had lost her husband and also her two sons, one of which was Ruth's husband. And now Naomi was going back to uh, the home of the Jews. She was a Jew, and uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was a, a woman a, of Moab. And so she was willing to give up all of that, her homeland, her safety, and go back with Naomi to the land that was her homeland's uh, bitter enemies. <laughs> And she was willing to give that up, give up her home, give up her people 
And uh, it is in that great passage in Ruth, even though we think of it in a, a wedding context, it is in that great passage of Ruth where she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. I will never leave you. Well, Ruth risked a lot. She gave up a lot. And then I think of Joseph of Arimathea. He was another one that we saw this summer. And Joseph was one who, um, he had position. He was one of the uh, leaders of the Jews in the first century. Uh, He was a member of the Sanhedrin, that ruling council. And yet when Jesus was killed and was crucified, uh, it was two members of that Sanhedrin, two members of that ruling council that actually took his body down from the cross and put him in a tomb, just happens to be Joseph's tomb his, himself. He had his own tomb close by. And so he and his friend Nicodemus, a fellow member of the ruling council, both of whom did not go along with the decision to have Jesus crucified and turned over to the Romans to be crucified, uh, they're the ones that very publicly took down the body of Christ from the cross, making themselves ceremonially unclean because of contact with a dead person and unable to participate in the rest of the uh, Passover activities. But even more difficult and dangerous for them is that now they, were, they had targets on their backs. Now they were no longer able to have their freedom, certainly not their position, but also their very lives were in danger because of what they had done. Um, and, and then this past week, uh, Steve Holiday here, speaking about that great story of Joseph. If you weren't able to be here last week and you haven't watched that or listened to that yet, I urge you to do that. That was a very, very important message. As he talked about the story of, jo- of Joseph, who was a, a risk taker and put his faith on the line, and, uh, and, and he shared, Steve shared a different perspective on that than many of us have probably thought about. Uh, whereas it wasn't Joseph being tempted in a sexual immorality way, but rather it was uh, Joseph being threatened in a sexual harassment, sexual assault way, because actually it was Potiphar's wife who had the power. And I think that's exactly right. Uh, As I've thought about it this week, I think that is exactly the situation that was in. Could be that he was attracted to her, maybe so, maybe not. But the real issue was she was in a position of power to put him in jail or to take it, have his life taken, and that's exactly what she did. She had him thrown in prison when he refused uh, to respond to her advances. Um, and so that uh, a very important message, and he had so much helpful information on there. And, of course, if anyone is um, threatened with sexual harassment or sexual assault or sexual abuse, we certainly want you to reach out for help. Uh, 911 is the number to call for emergency Uh, But sometimes there are other things that go along with that. And not very long ago, just in the past several weeks, uh, the number 988 has been assigned for a suicide hotline. And so that's something I think that's important for us to remember and to share. uh, That if you or someone you know is having thoughts of hurting themselves or even ending their own life, uh, 988 is is the number to call. And that puts you right in touch with people who will help. Um, And, of course, all the other wonderful messages that have challenged and encouraged us throughout this summer. Um, It was a a, a great list. We we put the theme together. We sent the word out to uh, several different speakers, some around that are local here to our church family, some that are uh, not. And we told them this is the theme. Uh, Who do you want to speak about? 
And it turned out that week after week, it was a very encouraging and very challenging series. Um, And taking the risks they took, they did not just put their faith on the line. They put their very lives on the line, not knowing how it would work out for them. And that's what really, that's really what it means to be a risk taker, isn't it? That's what it means to put your faith on the line, to do what God's Word demands without knowing exactly how it'll turn out for you. We're so familiar with all of the stories that we heard this summer and and so many more. But remember, when they were going through it, they didn't know how that would work out. They didn't know how that would turn out. You think of Joseph himself. He was 17 years old when he was betrayed by his brothers and sold to uh, uh, travelers who ended up selling him to Potiphar, uh, the, uh, the Egyptian uh, officer and leader. And, uh, and he became a slave and then ended up in prison when he refused uh, Mrs. Potiphar's advances. And it wasn't until he was 30 years old that that story takes a turn and he interprets Pharaoh's dream for him. And all of a sudden now he's given all this stuff and he's the second highest person in, in the nation. But at age 17, he didn't know that's what was going to happen. When Potiphar's wife made advances at him, he didn't know how that was going to turn out, but he ran. He ran instead of staying. And that, he didn't know how that would work out. For all he knew, they were going to capture him and kill him. And it was 13 years. That's a long, long time. It's a long time. From age 17 to age 30, to age 30, Joseph didn't know how it was going to work out. There were several times, as you know that story, where he thought, oh, this is my big chance to get freed, and it it didn't happen. It didn't happen until finally he got the word. Uh, Time to take a shower, shave, put on somebody else's clothes uh, because you're going to stand before Pharaoh. Really what it means to be a risk taker, to put your faith on the line, is to do that not knowing how it's going to end up, not knowing how it's going to turn out. We, we live by faith, not by sight. I get that. And we understand that God's going to take care of us and see us through. I get that too, but we just don't know how he's going to do that <laughs> because God has a way of doing things and having them turn out differently than what we want, even though he's with us doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go well with us in the short term. Physically and emotionally, those are not God's largest concerns. He's concerned about those things, but, but He's more concerned about His eternal will and purpose and mission, not just in my life, but in everyone's life. And so He sees all of those things. Bill just sees how it's affecting Bill today. <laughs> and because His perspective is different and His mission is everybody for all time, then then it can turn out a little differently than the way we would want. That's what it means to take a risk, to do the right thing, not knowing how it's going to work out. Uh, In the back of our minds, we want to think, well, if I'll just do the right thing, then things will go well with me. And generally speaking, that's true. But sometimes it doesn't go well with us for a while. And sometimes it doesn't go well with us at all in this life. But God 
is with us. Tonight, we end this great series by looking at the greatest risk taker of them all. No, not Bill, not Logan, (laughs) but of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want us to read Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, first of all, and then we're going to kind of go backtrack through the book of Hebrews and try to try to figure out what exactly all of that means. But I think this is a terrific passage to end this uh, summer series on. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So tonight we're talking about Jesus from the perspective of our summer series. I know there's a lot in there that we could go through, and you've heard wonderful sermons on Hebrews chapter 12 for probably all of your life. But I want us to think of Jesus tonight as a risk taker. I want us to think of Jesus tonight as someone who put his faith on the line. And what did that look like for Jesus? What was it that Jesus gave up? to do what is talked about in these verses. And what was it that he risked in doing so? Yes, I understand that Jesus has miraculous foreknowledge. I understand he knows what's going to happen before it ever does. I get that. I understand that. But in the midst of all of that, he gave up some things. And he risked some things in order to be our Savior. We find the answers to both of these questions in the book of Hebrews. Again, I think this word of exhortation, and that's the term that the writer himself describes this 13-chapter book. You think my sermons are long. He says this is a word of exhortation for 13 chapters. But he says, I think in this, this is everything he has said up to now helps us to understand what he's talking about here and what he means and what Jesus gave up and the risks that Jesus took. He's reminded us throughout the letter of the greatest risk taker of all. So let's take a brief look at what the writer of the book of Hebrews has to say about the greatest risk taker of them all. First of all, Jesus gave up being with the Father. Jesus gave up being with the Father. And we go back to the very start. At the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, in the first three verses, we we hear that. And we understand that. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation or image of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
And so especially note that last statement. After he made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Almighty, which means he hadn't been there for a while. He was there before he ever came to earth. He was there before the angel ever went to Joseph and Mary. And so Jesus gave up being with the Father, present with him in the ultimate holy of holies, heaven itself. Chapter 2 makes uh, a point of this as well, quoting from the Old Testament, specifically from Psalm 8. But in Hebrews 2, beginning at verse 5, it's not to angels that he has spoke, uh, that he has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. I love the way the Hebrew writer refers to passages. He knows exactly who said it, but somebody somewhere said, does that several times, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And when David writes that in Psalm 8, he's saying, I can't believe that you've put us in such a high position, just right under the angels. But the writer of Hebrews has a different point to make, continuing in verse 8 of chapter 2, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, yet at present we don't see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, verse 9 who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. It was a step down for him. He was no longer in the presence of the Father, no longer with the Father in the very throne room of heaven. And so we skip down a little bit to verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's us. For this reason he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. You see, Jesus had to leave heaven because he had to become like us, and that means human. And so he did that exact thing. In fact, as you know, in Philippians 2, we're going to start studying from Philippians this Sunday morning in our adult Bible class classes. In Philippians 2, it says he emptied himself and took upon him the form of humanity. Not just humanity, but a servant of humanity. Jesus gave up being with the Father. Secondly, Jesus gave up his life. The passage in chapter 2 has already alluded to that. The passage in chapter 1 did as well. That's how he made purification for our sins. But we'll read a little bit more about that in chapter 5, starting in verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. Quoting from the writer of Hebrews' favorite book, the book of Psalms. 
And he says in another place, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I think what he's making the point here is that this is something that Jesus did because the Father wanted him to do it. Verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He was heard because of his reverent submission to the Father, because of his heartfelt prayers that reached up to God with tears. And he was heard, but the answer was no. You know that passage, right? Mark 14 and the other places where Jesus is in the garden. And he's praying like no one has ever prayed before. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will. Yours be done. That reverent submission, that obedient spirit that Jesus had, it cost him his life. And Hebrews chapter 9 is a familiar verse, chapter 9, verse 27, but I want us to read the verses around it because it's really not talking about us and our death and our temporal natures. It's talking about Jesus. Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 24, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Again, going back to the first few verses of the book. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. That's the day of atonement, the Yom Kippur. The high priest goes in and he takes the blood and he uh, anoints the altar with it and, and he sprinkles the blood and that happens once a year, but it happens every year. But Jesus is not a high priest like Aaron, Moses' brother. He's a high priest like Melchizedek, that strange guy that pops in and out of Genesis. Verse 26, otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all, key term in Hebrews, at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We've heard that, that verse a lot, right? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. More familiar King James translation. And he's not making the point that, hey, our life here is short, although I think that's a legitimate point from that. What he's saying is Jesus' life was short. Because he had to be made like us in every way. He had to take that risk. He had to put that faith on the line. And he had to become human. And not just become human and separated from the Father, he had to give his life. Give his life. Not have his life taken from him. He tells us in John 10 that nobody takes it from me. I could stop this at any time. But that was that obedient, reverent submission to the will of the Father. In the next chapter, in chapter 10, more about this. 
When Christ came into the world, verse 5, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, you did not desire. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, that's true. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. But how did he do that? And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Those words just resonate. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave His life, offered Himself once for all. Why? Because everybody is appointed to die. And so Jesus, in order to be fully human, took that risk. Gave that up, that life, not just with the Father, but the physical life He had taken on when He left the Father. Gave that up and died once for all, but in His case, He died for us. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that He didn't die for us on our good days. It was while we were still sinners that Christ did that. So he gave up being with the Father. He gave up his life. But that gives us this question about the risk that he took. Hope you've thought about that a little bit as we've been talking for a few moments. What was Jesus' risk? What did he risk coming here and giving up his life? I think that he risked whether or not we would choose faith. Yes, I know, foreknowledge, I get that. But I think Jesus' risk was, would we choose faith? Would we choose to believe in Him, to trust Him enough to obey His Word? Would His sacrifice be worth it? I think that's what He risked. Am I doing all of this for nothing? Because these people are evil, they're not going to respond, they're not going to believe, they're not going to trust, they're not going to obey. Just like the Jews were, they were they're intent on sinning and turning away from me and my will. Is there any purpose in this at all? Would his sacrifice be worth it? And I think a lot of the book of Hebrews is written to answer that question. Because the book of Hebrews is written to probably primarily Jewish Christians who ever since they became Christians, their lives had been <laughs> horrible. It had, it had been one threat after another, one difficulty after another. They had turned their back on their people. They had turned their back on 2,000 years of Jewish heritage for this, this carpenter from Nazareth who seems to be the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And so they do that, and they're baptized, and they become Christians, and now their life is all messed up. They're persecuted constantly. The things they have, they have to give up. Some of them have even had loved ones who have lost their lives and others would have that same fate ahead. And so a lot of the book of Hebrews is written so that these Christians will not give up, so that they will not turn away, so that the blood that Christ shed would be worth it. 
And these words that the writer of Hebrews writes to them, he's writing to us with the same purpose. It's why we come to church. It's why there's a church at at all. Those verses in, in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why is that so important? So God can check off a box by our name and that date? (laughs) It's because we need that so desperately. It's because others in the church need it so desperately. Why? Because Jesus died for us. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember His call to live obediently, to live a life of faith. Throughout chapter 10, he speaks of that. And then these words at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Habakkuk 2 is quoted. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And now, as we know, in chapter 11, he's going to give us a big, long list of the ones who are like that. And the question is, will we be like that? Will we live by faith? Will we die by faith? Because that's why Jesus came, and that's why he left the Father and gave up being with him, and that's why he gave up his life. Because he was willing to risk your faithfulness and mine to make that sacrifice worthwhile. We have to receive it. And we have to persevere. Not perfectly, but faithfully. As you know, he defines faith in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's something we hope for. We don't have it. And this is what the ancients were commended for, and he's going to tell us about all of them in the verses that follow. And how important is it? Well, verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we give up our faith, then Christ's sacrifice means nothing. For us. What if everybody gives up their faith? That could have happened. And there Jesus would be dying on the cross, shedding his blood for a bunch of people who refused the gift. We keep reading in chapter 11, and this passage starting in verse 13, I think is so significant. All these people were still living by faith when they died. All these Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Moses, all of these people he's talking about. They were still living by faith when they died. You see, they lived by faith, but they also died by faith. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is asking his readers and his hearers, are you going to go back? Are you going to go back to Judaism? Are you going to go back to living a selfish life rather than serving the Lord? And he asks the same question of us. Are we going to go back to the life we lived before Jesus and make his sacrifice worthless? It's a great summary statement at the end of, towards the end of Hebrews in chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. There he says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's direct worship. It's kind of what we're doing right now, what we did on Sunday. But that's not the only kind of worship. Verse 16, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, that's a worship term, God is pleased. So the question is, will we worship God 24-7, 365? On Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever we have the opportunity to sing His praises and study His Word and worship Him directly, yes. But what about the other times? The other days of the week when we're not here. When we're called upon to live the life of faith. Because that's just as important. And that's what much of the New Testament is written. Would we choose faith? That's what Jesus risked. By leaving the Father, becoming human, giving up His life, would it be worth it? The good news that we read in Scripture is that Jesus made it possible for us to be faithful. Our Lord not only risked and gave everything for us, He made it possible for us to make His sacrifice worthwhile, to make it worth what He gave up and the risk He took to save us. He showed us that through Him, we too can take the risks. We can put our faith on the line, knowing that our Savior is there to help. And that's this great passage in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What risks are you taking this year? What risks are you taking this school year, young people? What risks are you taking on the job? What is it that God is calling on you to give up that is a selfish thing for the bigger purpose that God has for you? You say, well, Bill, I, that, that's, that's just too hard. I can't risk my relationship with my friends. That's too much of a risk. I can't risk my position on the job. I can't risk my family who doesn't share my Christian faith. We find help to take those risks. We find help from Jesus Christ to put our faith on the line. And that's what he has said throughout this whole book of Hebrews. And so now we go back to chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. With everything that we've seen 
Let's read these words again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me change the wording just a bit. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the greatest risk taker of them all. And he took that risk for you. And he took that risk for me. You know, many times through the years I've been asked, Bill, why would God create humanity knowing that the majority, the vast majority perhaps of people would not be saved but would be lost? Why would Jesus take the risk? Why would Jesus put everything on the line for humanity when most everyone would refuse to follow him? The sacrifice was too great. I can't deny myself. I want what I want and that's the end of it. But here's the thing. God didn't create the world for the ones who would be lost. He created the world to be in relationship for the ones who would be saved. Jesus gave his life wanting everyone to follow him and calling on everyone to follow him, knowing that that wouldn't happen. But for the ones who would, for the ones who would trust him, the ones who would obey him, the ones who would deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. He would be in relationship with them for eternity. And that's why he came. And that's why he gave up so much. And that's why he took the risk. Because your faith and my faith made it worthwhile. See, here's the thing. If everyone else who ever lived turned their backs on Jesus, And you were the only one who was willing to trust him, who was willing to follow him, who was willing to take the risk with him. I believe with all of my heart, he still would have come. He still would have left the throne room of the Father. He still would have given up his divinity in that sense. He still would have taken on humanity, emptied himself. He still would have given up his life for you. For you. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he was willing to give for us. Take the risk. Take the risk. Put your faith on the line. Do that for Jesus because that's what he did for you. That's what he did for you. And he will help you through whatever the consequences are of you doing that. Be a Daniel. Be obedient, whatever the cost. Be a Ruth. Go wherever he tells you to go. Be a Joseph of Arimathea. 
be willing to risk that position, those relationships, whatever it is, for the sake of that one relationship that really matters above all, that one with Jesus. Be like Jesus, your Savior, the greatest risk taker of them all. So as we close tonight, I want our closing prayer, not just of this message, but of our series to be one that is written by the writer of the book of Hebrews himself, asking our Father to lead us and bless us and empower us as we go out with his message to his world, as we take the risk, as we put our faith on the line. This prayer from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Let's bow and pray. Now may you, the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip us with everything good for doing your will. And may you work in us what is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We are dismissed.